Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our Barangaroo studios. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. You've tuned in to the call. Ten stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts. We do it all in one hour on this Tuesday, the 6th of September, the first Tuesday of the month, Reserve Bank Board Meeting Day, uh, which always has the markets distracted, although it does seem to be a foregone conclusion of how uh, much the Reserve Bank will increase rates. More focus, I suppose, on what they're going to say as a result of that rate rise. Um, Let's check in with our two experts on today's show, the panel, Scott Phillips, from the Motley Fool, Scott, how are you, sir? Kevin Robertson. Gosh, you g'day. Good. Thank you very team much. Team Invest in Melbourne. Kevin, good to have you aboard. Thank you. Um, good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, Scott, interest rates, are they making any difference to the share market at the moment? Are they having a big impact? Mate, they did Friday a week ago uh, when Jerome Powell said, actually, guys, I'm going to do what mm-hmm. I said I was going to do, which you would have thought was almost a foregone conclusion. Uh, But that restatement of the Fed's decision, or intent at least, uh, saw the US market fall 3.4%, as we remember, and then our market last Monday falling 2%, having a really rough week as a result. So that's the impact of rates this time around today in particular. You wouldn't expect a huge move because it is odds on that we get half a point increase. So if the market does, or the the RBA does what the market's expecting, there should be no response because these things should be priced in. I say should uh, because you never can quite tell how traders are going to react to this stuff, but yeah. The only surprise, the only movement should be, in theory, if there's something other than a half a percent rise today. Yeah, uh, Kevin, team invest members, are they concerned with where rates are going? Are they changing their their investment outlook? We yeah, we have discussions about rates and uh, and inflation. Inflation's the main one that we discuss because uh, rate the the two are linked, as you know, um, and we're not terribly concerned uh, as Warren Buffett says that if you're a net purchaser of shares you should be happy with with share prices being low and we've seen that over the last uh, couple of years as rates have gone up the share prices have tended to go down and a lot of the share prices of our the companies we're interested in have sort of dipped down uh, with extra volatility so that's that's provided us with some buying opportunities Okay. So overall, uh, no, it's a it's a big discussion point with us, but uh, we're not we're not overly concerned. Okay, uh, let's go through the first five stocks that we're going to cover in this half hour ahead of us here on the call. Uh, Paladin Energy, the uranium miner, uh, Atomos, uh, CSL, Domino's, and Focus Minerals. I always pick a stock of the day. And uh, many of our viewers, uh, including me, have been uh, uh, slashed repeatedly by the falling knife, which is Magellan Financial Group. Um, It has reported today funds under under management down another 4.3% to 50 
$7.6 billion. Funds under management have more than halved from its September 2021 peak, uh, which uh, of uh, $117.9 billion. The business paid a final dividend of uh, $0.68.9 cents a share, fully franked. Uh, let's take a look at the share price and see how it's performing today. Uh, and it has recovered. Look at the opening there. It was down something like 6%, but has uh, stabilised uh, a little bit uh, on a, on a five-year graph. It's being uh, absolutely battered. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fall. This is uh, how the mighty have fallen. Australia's premier fund manager um, is is really skidding along the bottom of the cycle at the moment. Is it? Is is it a time to buy? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I wish I knew, mate. That this is this has been such a tempting one for me over the past six months for all the reasons you've highlighted. The share price now at a level not seen since late 2014, if you can believe that. Share price-wise, the last eight years are a wash, which is remarkable when you think about the story of Magellan. Uh, I am reminded, mate, I remember thinking back, uh, remember they sponsored the men's uh, Ashes uh, Test Series a few years ago, and I remember thinking at the time, if this is the top for for, for the market or something at that point, it's one of those things when, when a fund manager sponsors an Ashes Test, you think, all right, is, it, is this the top? Now, I didn't do anything yeah. smart about it at the time. I kind of shorted the share something and made a fortune. But it was just one of those one of those observations that kind of you know drifted through my brain at that point. Here's the problem with, with fund managers, mate, is they actually have nothing of value other than the people that walk in and out the door. And even those people have only tangential control over the profitability of the business because it comes down to simply, do your customers want to use your services and products? Now, that's every business, of course. But much harder to change away or much more unlikely to change away from Coke to Pepsi or change away from Domino's to Pizza Hut or vice versa. Um, when it comes to fund management, literally, even though the people are doing the same work at the same time, the scale benefits on the way up are the scale costs or the scale downsides on the way back down. Mm. I mean, that's an ugly one-year chart, right? 70-odd, yeah. 1-odd, 72% fall. And that's simply a case of the investor saying, no, thank you. I'm taking my money elsewhere. Now, we mightn't change banks very frequently. We don't change banks very frequently. We don't change insurers very often, but funds really do come and go out of fund managers really, really fast. So looking at that business, super tempting to say, hang on, as you said in your graphic before, what if those funds just go back up? Yep. Uh, this, this will be a $50 stock if they get meaningful funds returned because the belief will come back. When the belief comes back, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So once the tide turns, if it turns, we will see a, a dramatically higher share price. The problem, of course, is like others before it, once it falls out of favor, it can be a very, very, very long road back. And so it's a really tough one. It's, it, it's a reminder on funds managers in general that if you've got businesses like this with such strong you know, key man or key person risk, but also strong brands, those brands are great when they're great. But if that's over, you know, if that's kind of, you know, doing double duty when it stops or when it goes into reverse as it has with Magellan recently, this is a fund that most advisors are saying, no, no, just give it a miss. That's why those funds keep falling. There's no end in sight, unfortunately. So we may look back in the year's time made at a fit with a $50 share price and say, gee, September 2022 would have been a great time to buy. Yeah. We could also be looking at a $6 share price this time next year saying, gee, glad we missed this one. I think you want to keep an eye on it. Really strong brand, really strong business, good quality people. You just want to make sure those funds actually start to come back yep. and there's a reasonable expectation they will continue to rise. Those two criteria aren't met just yet in my mind. Yeah, okay. Uh, Kevin, what do you think of Magellan? Because I think Magellan was a, a team invest favourite for quite a while. 
It was for a number of years. A lot of our members uh, invested in Magellan, and I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to sympathise with you there, David. I I'm one of those who got cut by the falling knife, yeah. and I'm looking at it rather <laughs> eagerly. And it's uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I also have to agree with everything Scott said. Fund managers, the the problem is they're leveraged on the way up, and they're also leveraged on the way down if they're good fund managers. And the two skills that fund managers mainly have to have is not just the obvious one, which is the, uh, you know, you have to be able to manage some funds, which is not easy and make a good return. You also have to market really well. You have to market your business. Mm -hmm. um, Hamish Douglas was always a very good marketer. Um, and I think Magellan is also suffering from the fact that, you know, the, their rock star marketer slash uh, fund allocator has has kind of fallen by the wayside at the moment. Hopefully, the team that's in there now can bring things back together. But yes, I agree, Scott. It uh, in general with fund managers, uh, it's going it, to if it does come back, it'll be a long road back most likely. Um, they are optimistic with the uh, options that they've issued to existing shareholders at thirty something. I can't remember off the top of my head dollars a share. I'll worry about it when the time gets a bit closer. Right. But yeah, they're obviously <laughs> trying to keep us keep us in place and keep us watching the business. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, avoid at the moment. Wait until it shows those signs of a turnaround. All right. Let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And um, gee, aren't we glad we've had energy stocks um, here on the Australian <laughs> share market? And uh, uh, it seems as well as though while the share markets around the world dive, these are the stocks that are keeping our markets a bit buoyant. Um, uh, Roger wants a view, Kevin, on Paladin Energy, uh, the uranium producer um, in Australia and Africa. It's got um, mines in Namibia and Malawi, uh, also around Mount Isa here uh, um, in Australia, what do you think of Paladin and uranium stocks in general? They've always promised so much, but never delivered. Never really delivered. Yes, no. it's it's very difficult. And this one, I think, this one's consistent with that, uh, David. It's uh, according to the ten years of uh, history that we keep as a listed share, they've never made a profit. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be not one that we would look at at this stage, as well as suffering from the usual things of you know commodity prices. As you say, uh, uranium has been out of favour in the popular mind for a long time. I do wonder if, with this decarbonising world, if uranium is going to have to come into the mix uh, because it is uh, a share. And historically, in the past, I've always been one of those in my youth an anti-uranium type person. But I'm, I'm wondering if maybe if we're going to decarbonise, if maybe it's a necessary part of the risk. It does have certain features. Uh, that make it desirable in a decarbonizing world. Um, and it does, for the energy it produces, it produces very little waste. Yep. Uh, so I, I do wonder if that's going to happen in the future. Not really one of ours. I'd say keep an eye and uh, see how the world goes. Mm. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Paladin? And uh, what's the other one? Boss Energy is another one, isn't it, that uh, is here in Australia? Yeah, I don't see. I go to Kevin's comments. It, it kind of comes down. The, the problem is, you know, if you say, okay, well, it's not making money, so well, how much are you going to pay for a business that's not making money? Maybe a couple hundred million dollars, maybe a billion dollars. This is a $2.9 billion market cap. Now, that's a lot wow. of money. I don't need to tell anybody that. For a business that isn't making a quid, 
And there is, you know, hope springs eternal, as they say. And as you rightly point out, mate, and, and you're dead right, without energy, uh, mining to some degree, and even banks to some degree, our market will be doing a lot, lot worse over the last 18 months. If you only look over at the US, uh, we're, we're meaningfully outperforming the US over that period of time because um, their tech exposure, their growth companies have really taken a beating. Uh, those businesses on our bourse that either haven't fallen as much or actually are benefiting from some of the dislocation, like potentially Paladin, uh, have really kept the, the index afloat. So uh, it's been good for, good, for the, good for ETF investors, good for the overall market. That $2.9 billion market cap, though, billion dollar has to, has to deliver something for investors at some point. I, I echo Kevin's comments around the potential use of uranium. The problem is right now, the market is literally taking a $3 billion bet on what that might look like. It simply hasn't got to scale because there's not enough use and hasn't got enough uranium at a high enough price. Though The math is pretty straightforward for mining, right? You've got to sell enough of it, you've got to have a high enough price to get it out of the ground and, and cover your costs and actually deliver a dollar for shareholders. Now, hope springs eternal. For years and years and years, plenty of investors have looked at Paladin and said, if, when, maybe, uranium becomes another big thing, then maybe, possibly, there's a market for this. And if so, maybe, 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 and on it goes. I don't know how to handicap the odds of that one. It is literally a shot in the dark. You have to guess, hope, believe, suspect, you know, kind mm. of uh, you know, speculate that there might be a, a much brighter future. And I don't think it's actually possible to do. Uh, sorry, you can do all those things. You can guess and speculate and, and, and ponder. Can you do it with any degree of probabilistic you know, expertise? I don't think so. Um, maybe Japan gets back into uranium. Maybe the world takes uranium. And as Kevin said, uh, I'm of the same belief. I, I'd rather believe we didn't have to use uranium because I don't think we want to have to deal with the potential for accidents and the waste. On the same, by the same token, if that is the the, the silver bullet that gets us away from uh, you know fossil fuel usage, well, maybe it's a risk worth taking. But again, the public has to turn, has to come on side. Governments have to come on side. There's a lot that has to go right for Paladin to make a dollar, and that's why we're seeing. The share price bouncing all over the place when the market gets excited and then pessimistic and excited again. Yeah. It's not something you can, with any degree of confidence, ha have a view on. You get a whole lot of ideologues say, well, of course, we should use it there for buying the shares. Or some traders say, all I need is a little bit of upside, a little bit of speculation, a little bit of positivity. Maybe I'll make a few, Bob. Uh, and those are fine views. If you're trying to weight an investment case, I don't think you can say with any with any degree of confidence that's worth buying at today's price. Okay. All right. I know for Paladin there. Uh, Nadine wants a view on Atomos, um, Scott, uh, the um, software and hardware mm. technology group that's into uh, manufacturing setting video, video equipment. Um, it's a big supplier of Apple uh, as well. Apple has an interest in them as well. Mm -hmm. Sort of groundbreaking technology where you can use your iPhone to make almost cinemagraphic sort of uh, movies. Um, Elliston were involved, Elliston Capital, Ashok Jacob for quite a while, but uh, was a darling two years ago, but has really mm -hmm. fallen from grace. Well, hasn't it too? I think the shares had down 90% the last 12 months yeah. uh, from, from memory, looking at the share price recently. Here's the challenge for Atomos is it's a business, it reminds me of GoPro, you know, and, and it's easy to say that because it's kind of in roughly in the same kind of area, yeah. video editing software broadly. But think about the idea of what if there was this really cool new technology that you could use to, to make some, take some really good video. And that's, I mean, again, I'm being really, really broad here. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me of GoPro in both the rise and the subsequent fall. Um, speaking of rise and fall, look at that share price chart. It's been a heck of a ride. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's software that, it, it's fantastic software. People love it, absolutely love this stuff. 
Um, the challenge, I think, is we're not yet sure how big the market is going to be and whether it can become and remain the preeminent go-to software. If you're a content creator, as the cool kids call it these days, you've got a YouTube channel, you've got TikTok these days, everything else, this is great software to use and plenty of people use it and swear by it. So like GoPro, there's no problem with the underlying technology or the underlying business itself. The big risk or the big challenge is can you get to scale first? And then second, how much growth is genuinely in this thing? The number of content creators feels massive because in, in raw numbers it is, but as a global market and as a regular use case, is there enough reason? I mean, think about the phones these days. I've got one here. Um, yep. you, can, you don't need that software as much as you might have in the past because the phones do so much anyway. Um, <clears throat> so look, great software, good business. I like the innovation. I love they're having a go. They're making a loss. They're making a really big loss. They haven't got all that much cash left on hand. So that's why the share price is falling. They've got to deliver. They're doing these revenue growth, 23, 24% compound revenue growth over four or five years. So they're proving they have a place in a market, but they're fast running out of cash. They're not yet demonstrating scale. And that is why investors have marked this one down. The removal of a whole lot of hubris and exuberance, but also once you get past that, the businesses that have fallen furthest are the ones that simply don't have an obvious path without meaningful capital raisings, if that capital can at all be actually generated in the first place. So I like the company, I like the software. This is one you actually want to keep your eye on, mate, because if they can raise capital post-capital raising, maybe a very, very different story if they can yep. solidify and, and, and kind of guarantee their future. Um, yes, or if they also manage to get to cash flow break even or ahead, again, another reason to have a look at it. So I, I think it's a quality product. It could be a quality business. It's one you want to just watch from the sidelines because yeah. if it does go badly, you can be meaningfully diluted. It could get taken out at a cheap price. Worst case scenario, it runs out of cash and, and kind of goes goes west. So um, yeah. not one for now, way too risky, but with some circumstances change, cash flow positive or a big capital raise that, that de-risks the investment case, definitely one worth having a look at. Yeah, there was a fair bit of tension between the founder and the board at one stage That's and investors, <laughs> was, uh, all sorts yeah. of issues there. Um, Kevin, uh, I'm not sure this would even get on the yeah. radar of Team Invest. <laughs> no, I, I could go through all of the reasons, but I think you probably know them all. I mean, there's no profit, as Scott said, and uh, there's a short history. Uh, we, we prefer a longer history and we prefer a profitable history. So, yes, I, I agree. I agree with Scott completely. Um, it, it's one, it's got one of those things you, you might love the technology and it's great and you, you wish it would be successful. You hope it's successful because it's really, really good, cool technology. But, uh, you know, it's just one to keep an eye on. And as you say, David, uh, not one of ours that we'll be looking at, I don't think, anytime okay. soon. All right. Um, uh, Peter wants a view on one that is certainly uh, past your filters, uh, Kevin. Uh, CSL, the, uh, the global health company, plasma company, um, the old Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, one of the, the great global health success stories to come out of here in Australia, not only uh, plasma and blood products, but also, as we all know, vaccines it produces too. Um, what do you think of uh, CSL at the moment? Oh, yes. CSL is, is one uh, that, as you say, we've been following for a long time and it's yeah. done very well. If you look at the charts, the uh, earnings per share has been marching upward, you know, steadily and nicely, except for the last couple of years. They had a and it, it the key thing there, they had some problems with uh, blood uh, deliveries due to COVID and that yeah. sort of thing. But the interesting thing about that is when you look at the chart, um, a lot of other businesses have had troubles during COVID and their, their earnings per share has dropped. Uh, 
what happened with CSL, if you look at the charts, the earnings per share have just uh, slowed down a little. So the growth has slowed rather than dropping altogether, So which gives you an indication of the excellent quality of the business. They've also just uh, recently purchased uh, Vifor, I think that's how you pronounce it, Vifor Pharma. Um, and it's obviously very early days for that. They did a capital raising and used some debt to purchase that. It's a large global purchase. So it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens there. Um, it does look like it's going to be accretive at this stage, as far as we can tell. Um, and it will add uh, some extra diversity to what they do because they're, they're producing things more for kidney disease and iron deficiency. So there should be some add-ons there and, and some uh, synergies, hopefully. Uh, the problem, as far as we are at the moment, as always with a lot of these great companies, is uh, the price right now is not really uh, good enough for us. It's, it's not low enough. We're looking, we're looking for a bit of a drop back in the price. Right. Um, for me, I'd say uh, 235 to 240 thereabouts, which is a fair drop. Yeah. All right, so if you've got it, would you hold it? Oh, yes, right. yes, I would say so, okay, yes. So hold. Um, gee, you're a hard market down to 235. Has it been <laughs> down that low for a while? We, I, we had this discussion about another, another company I remember a while ago, David, right. and, uh, and subsequently, I think it was ARB, if I recall correctly, right. And subsequently, the uh, the price did drop down to oh. uh, what I mentioned. To so it does happen occasionally, yeah, okay. to my target. All right, it well, does occasionally happen, so it can can happen. You right. have to be patient. Look at the chart there; it almost got down there at uh, uh, in February, March as well. Scott, what do you think of CSL at these levels? Yeah, love the business. Um, Australia does a fantastic job. We love to beat our chest, and we should about some of our world beaters and in the medical technology space. Uh, we've got a whole heap of them. CSL clearly the number one, and and with a bullet, done a wonderful job of growing this business for for really long, long, long periods of time. The compound growth that Kevin talked about is absolutely credit to the business and to the, the scientists and and sales and marketing teams, everyone working at CSL. The the challenge I've got is is kind of Kevin's concern, but I'll put it a little bit more broadly. So. As, as everyone knows, compounding is wonderful, right? If you get 10% and 10% more than 10% more on larger and larger numbers, that's how compounding works. That's why um, you know 10% per annum is much more than 5% per annum. It's not just double. It's normally three, four, or five times depending on how far you go out because of the value of growth on growth on growth. The challenge, I think, for that when you get to CSL size is thinking about what it might need or what it might require in sheer dollar terms for CSL to continue to grow from here. And that's the bit that, that kind of has me sitting on the sidelines. He's, he's done a wonderful job of growing for a very long time. At some point, trees don't grow to the sky, don't grow to the sky as they say, if I can spit that out. Uh, the, the real risk, I think, or the real challenge for investors is simply how many, how many dollars of incremental value every single year does it need to create to justify a PE in the 40 plus range? And it becomes astronomical. If you go out two, three, four, five, seven, ten 10 years and think about the sheer dollar value the, of, the, of the growth it needs to generate, that's entire new vaccines, that's entire new products and new technology. Now, if you're a bull, you say, well, CSL's done a great job in the past, I'm sure they'll find something, and they might. If you're slightly less bullish, you might say, I don't know. And that's where I find myself. I'm not bearish, I'm not telling people to run out and sell the shares, it's gonna be this dud investment from now on. I do, though, think the sheer effort required and, and a bit of good luck and a bit of good fortune and just large enough markets. Um, think about you know the old GA education problem. When it went from one childcare center to two, it doubled. One more, great, but two, a doubling of the business. 
We go 150 centers, adding one is less than 1% increase. Yep. So the sheer number you need to add every year to get that compound growth is just too large. And I don't have enough confidence in CSL's growth potential, that blue sky that's left for the business, given how dominant it is globally. It's tried to buy another business, had to not buy that one, not the buy for business, but a couple of years ago on antitrust concerns, had to give the money back and say, sorry, it can't do it, won't work. And so you gotta ask yourself, do you have a high enough level of confidence that you know as an investor where that growth is going to come from. And again, I, I think the people running the business are spectacularly good. I, I couldn't ask for a better management team. So it's no criticism of them. It's just simply when you're that big, where do you go next? How does as Microsoft double its windows, you know, um, penetration? It can't. It turns mm -hmm. out it went to cloud computing, did a really good job. So there is both of those things in that example. On one hand, is there enough growth in the organic business at CSL? Almost certainly not, in my view. Can it do a Microsoft and come up with a whole new bit of business like cloud or something else? Obviously, medical technology. Um, I don't know, mate. So I can't recommend buying shares in CSL. I like the business a lot. It's just not, to my mind, a good risk-reward bet at 40 times earnings. Okay. Do, if you hold it, do you get out? Are there better opportunities elsewhere? There will almost certainly be better opportunities elsewhere. This is the this is the challenge with the whole, right? If, if there's any company that you think can do better than the market, and CSL is not going to be that company, you should see shares and go and do that, at least yeah. in theory. Now, you've got to be right twice. You can be right that CSL is overpriced and right that your new idea is worth it. So that's the first thing. Second thing is if you've held it for any length of time, you've probably got really meaningful capital gains. Right. And if you've got to pay 15, 20% of your proceeds in capital gains, you've got to make that back just to get level and then yeah. gain from there. So dollar for dollar without tax considerations, if any business is going to do better than CSL, you should sell your CSL shares yep. and invest in that other business. But right. there are risks in that and there's also tax to pay. Okay, so that's very individual. Get your own advice Needs on to that. be, unfortunately, yeah. Yep. All right, David wants a view, um, uh, Scott, on Domino's, the, uh, the big fast food uh, pizza group, not only here, but uh, also in Japan and Europe. Mm-hmm. Three new Asian markets to announce the most recent earnings results, Koshi. I own shares in Domino's for full disclosure, so I'll put that up front. Um, I own it because I like it, so you, you should assume it's, I'm going to say it's a buy, and I think it is. Uh, this is one of the very best management teams on the ASX, in my view. Dom May and the team there do a wonderful job of delivering compound growth in this business. Um, I fa famously, I recommended it to our members back, I think it was 2013, and it's just they sell about eight or 10 months later after we've got a 40% gain, thinking I was a genius. <laughs> Uh, the shares have gone from eight to 12 or so. And I thought, how, how clever am I? And then went to 140. Now they're back a bit. So I, I don't look like I've got quite so much egg on my face, but more than enough egg to go around. Um, the missed opportunity there was massive. And the reason I recommended our members sell at the time was, hey, maybe there's not enough growth left. Maybe, maybe they've hit penetration. How many more pizzas can Australians eat? I kind of rhetorically asked. Turns out the answer was a lot uh, and a lot more. They are going to open over the next five or so years about as many new stores as they already have. Gee. But I also expect same store sales to increase. This is, I think, a, a business got a lot of growth left to come. Now, that spike you see there is the COVID spike, where mm -hmm. every business that was supposed to benefit from COVID did really well because investors kind of somehow believed that this was a new normal. We'd only ever eat Domino's and never go to restaurants again. I think that was a mistaken belief then. But I also think now it's too pessimistic. I think that the pendulum has swung on so many businesses way too far the other way. Somehow Domino's future is over or it's bleak. If they can go even close to opening that same number of stores in the next five or six years and get decent organic sales growth, profit will go through the roof. So uh, for mine, on a risk-reward basis, plus you say, as you say New Zealand, Japan, Europe, uh, three new Asian markets, I think they'll continue to expand that footprint too, by the way. So more stores in more countries, more sales per store. The economics of Domino's 
delivery are, are wonderful, wonderful economics because A, it's a franchisor in the first place, but even at a store level, um, the, the sheer return on the square foot and the staff is just out of this world. Yeah. Um, so really high, high quality business. Inflation will take a bite. Um, so investors are worried about that and it, they should. The, the price of pitch will have to go up because the raw material does. But I really like Domino's. I think it's one of the best opportunities on the ASX. You've got to, it's going to be volatile. But if you're looking for a growth investment, Domino's is one of my top ones. Mm, okay. Uh, Kevin, Domino's? Yes, I agree. I agree with Scott completely. Um, and the interesting thing, we often discuss Domino's because for our, our measures, Domino, uh, just looking at the raw figures, has very high debt. Um, mm. And largely, I think that's because of the... Uh, the 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 model that they've got and it's it's if you like it's quote good debt unquote in that they can get out of it easily in terms of expansion yes i agree the markets in uh, asia japan and europe are huge compared to australia so they've got a lot of growth available there if as long as they do it right uh, one of the things that's interesting, their strategy for growth in Australia is infilling. So they're opening more stores within the same region. This is actually an interesting approach because for a franchisee, it's a good thing that if they control a number of stores nearby because it gives them a lot of efficiencies in terms of staff mm -hmm. allocation and delivery allocation. So that's an interesting idea in that they can fit a lot more smaller stores into the same sort of area as well as... Uh, organic growth in the store numbers. Um, the other thing that we often discuss at Team Invest is the fact that this is not just a pizza delivery company, but it's also a technology company. Mm -hmm. And that's all around their systems and processes to deliver the pizzas faster and they make their promises that way. Yep. So uh, yeah, that, that that's another aspect of it, which is really interesting. And I, I agree I agree with Scott. Um, it's a it's a it's a good company to invest in. Uh, again, for me, uh, the PE is quite low, so I would say for me, it's probably around about a good a good buy now. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, buy for Domino's. I I had lunch. This is about two years ago with one of the the franchisees of uh, of Domino's, and Kevin, your you know, in area or whatever they called it. He he had six stores. Um, mm all very pretty close to each other. And he showed me the app on his phone where he's getting real-time data from each store, type of pizzas being sold, the yield on it, the staff involved, how many they were handling, and he was able during lunch to shift staff from one store to another almost immediately based on demand. I thought, how and that's, good is that? That's why it's such a clever strategy, yeah. yeah. and and. And he can do the same with deliveries. If, if one, one store is a bit slow and the other one's a bit fast, he can just shift his deliveries shift over it. to the yeah, store. It's just amazing stuff. Yeah. All right, it's Claire wants a view where Kevin on Focus Minerals, the, uh, the gold explorer, um, with projects around uh, Kilgardie and Laverton in WA. Mm, yes. Well, they've got nine years of history, and as far as I can tell, none of it is profitable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the the key thing about this one is, that, yeah, it's, as you say, it's a gold explorer. Um, obviously, we, we're we not overly keen on miners as a general rule, um, only because they're, they're subject, they're not price makers usually, they're, they're, they're subject to commodity prices. Gold is no different. Interesting thing about this though, and I suppose it's, a, it's one uh, to their credit, 
even though they've been making losses, the losses are very small and they've not, until very recently, they've not done uh, capital raisings for most of that nine years. Mm. Uh, typically, when you see a loss-making miner like this, they will often do uh, lots of capital raisings along the way and, and uh, you know, touch the shareholders for more money. So, as you might imagine, for us, it's not really on our radar yeah. right now. Okay. Scott? Uh, lotto ticket stuff, Koshi, this is a $25 million business, mm. uh, tiny market cap, and this is, uh, you know, hit and hope type type activity, both at the company operating level and as an investor. Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 these sort of businesses tend to bleed a lot of money from shareholders. Mm. Uh, and that's just that's just the reality of the business. And look, you know what? Like all new startups, like all new businesses trying to find a path. And by the way, that was Fortescue once upon a time. So let's you know, let's remember yep. some of these actually do go on to spectacularly great things. Obviously, not in gold for Fortescue, but you know the very idea of hey, what if what if we could do this thing? Um, and that's you know we want people like that in in industry. We want people like that in business. They're going to be employers. They're going to find hopefully some minerals. Uh, make the country some money, employ some people, pay some taxes, all that kind of good stuff. So I don't want to poo-poo the, the idea or, or the fact that someone's out there trying to find these minerals and, and to to dig them up and export them. So those things are great. As an investor, your, your question really is, hey, what is the likely return on my dollar? If I give them a dollar, or they don't get the money. In this case, we're buying at the secondary market. But if I buy a dollar's worth of shares, what is the probability of a positive return and a meaningfully positive return that beats the market? Because as I said many times, if you can't beat the market, buy an ETF and go fishing. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity for individual investors is there. If they manage to find the elusive uh, <laughs> gold deposit that they can mine commercially and successfully and make a lot of money, then you're going to look back at this program. Someone's going to pick up the, the podcast in, in 15 years' time and say, that Phillips is an idiot. Look, this is the next Fortescue. Or, hey, like <laughs> the others, this one actually went you know, nowhere or, or, or close enough to nowhere uh, because it never did quite find what it was out to look for. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's pure lot of ticket stuff. If you want to go and put five bucks in the Greyhounds, if you want to go and throw 20 bucks in the Pokies, if you want to go to the casino and spend 50 bucks on roulette, then buy some shares in this one if that's if that's what you're trying to do. But honestly, do it with your gambling money because it is it is literally a gamble. Yeah. Um, again, I don't want to I don't want to credit the management team or what they're trying to do at all. Uh, they're they're trying to do their best to get it done. But as an investor, in terms of returns on capital, odds on you're going to lose money. So yeah. if it's as it if it, if it's replacement for some gambling money, then knock yourself out. Um, but it's not the sort of thing you should be swapping out your Woolies or CSL shares for. Yeah, and we also. Uh, the market is is full of great gold producers in this country as well. They're actually delivering. Yeah. There's no shortage of them. Yeah, yeah. let's yes, uh, recap the true. first five stocks. Stock of the day: Magellan. A no from both uh, Scott and Kevin. Uh, same with Paladin. Uh, Atomosa, uh, a no from both. But Scott says put on your watch list if they can get it right. Um, um, uh, could be worthwhile sometime in the future. Uh, CSL, a no from Scott, a hold from Kevin. Uh, he'd look at buying around $235. It's around $290 at the moment. Uh, Domino's, a yes from both. And Focus Minerals, a no from both. Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by our investment committee. Latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch. So uh, um, um, this afternoon, the uh, the September committee meeting gets posted on the platform. Uh, at the end of August, the investment committee took their profits on Ordinate, added Oz Minerals up their holding in Woodside. 
Um, the fund is up 1.5% since inception on the 1st of March. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at CMC markets.com you don't own underlying assets consider relevant pds and tmd or information memorandum for cmc pro accounts at our website all right this half hour we're going to be taking a look at brickworks accent group points bet uh, rural funds group and european lithium um scott emily wants a view on brickworks of course the uh, not only the big brick manufacturer but investor as well isn't it um uh, mm. it's a really interesting business yeah, I really like uh, Brickworks Koshy. I'm a shareholder, so again, let me put that up front. Here's the comparison, by the way. You can buy shares in Paladin for $3 million, or you can buy shares in Brickworks for $3 million, and it's a very, very, very easy decision for me. Um, so raw upside is not there for Brickworks at all. Let's be really clear. The, the, the risk rewards are very, very different. Uh, but if you put those two companies together and say, hey, the market is paying $3 billion for both or either, which one do you want? It's a very, very, very easy decision. So yeah. Brickworks, three key parts. Um, the first bit is its brick and tile manufacturing operations, largely in Australia, but more recently overseas in the US. So bricks and tiles, again, building materials, pretty straightforward. There are many of the brick brands you'd know and love and maybe have yep. used before. Second is the property business. So as it opens a new brick pit, here's the, here's the great thing about the property business, right? It goes to a new area where there's gonna be development done where no one's living. It, it pegs out a brick pit and digs out bricks for years to supply the development in the surrounding area. Meanwhile, the suburbs encroach to and then beyond Brickworks brick pit, which means it now becomes the middle of suburbia. It's got this massive block of land. It's absolutely used for full value, getting the bricks done. And then it can sell that off for usually a very, very tidy profit. So not only does it get the, the, the opportunity to utilize the, the operational aspects of the site, it can sell it normally for, for a very nice profit. And then lastly, the investments, as you say, across shareholding with Solpats. I own shares in Solpats as well. Um, and that basically gives about 40% of the business, uh, Solpats business owned by Brickworks. The income stream from the investing that Rob Miller and the team do there, uh, Todd Barlow, is, is a great a great opportunity for, for shareholders in Brickworks. That's why I own the business. It's got the combination of both. Probably one of the things about the patch related businesses, think about New Hope, Coal or Brickworks and others, they tend to be the very best operators in their space. Mm-hmm. Um, plenty of other building materials businesses, but Brickworks is a really great capital allocator, sensible growth. Uh, really solid, solid strategy, same as New Hope, the very best operators in the coal space as well. So I like uh, Brickworks, I like the business, I like the management team, I like the long-term opportunity. Trading a P of five times, by the way, if you like that, a 2.9% fully frank yield, um, that yield's not gonna break the bank relative to a bank, for example, or something else, uh, but a really, really nice fully frank yield. Um, really solid backing. This is one of those sleep at night stocks. It'll be more volatile than Solpats because the brick business will do well sometimes and poorly other times when economic circumstances dictate. So expect it to be more volatile, both in terms of the share price and potentially the dividend. Um, but I can't speak highly enough of it. I own, own a decent chunk of it. Um, I'd happily pick some up today, I think, particularly at, at the bucks. current price. Right. Given yep. the sole pats thing, I think it's a, it's good value, yeah. Okay. Uh, would you, if you one or the other, Brickworks or sole pats, <laughs> what would you go for? <laughs> for uh, right now, I think I'd probably go Brickworks. It's mm. cheaper on a relative basis. Um, but it's going to be more volatile. So if you sort of yeah. invest, I own both. I said, if you're sort of investor who wants less volatility, go Solpats because it's right. pure investing. Um, if you're happy with a bit of cyclical 
operational delivery uh, from, from Brickworks. And I think that's probably the better buy right now at the prevailing price. Uh, Kevin, Brickworks? Yes, yes, I agree. It's uh, it's not one that's quite made it on our radar, but the, the figures look really good. Now, we've got our uh, triage coming up around Australia this month, which is where we, twice a year after reporting season, uh, we go through uh, a whole list of companies that meet our filters and, and do a quick full day pick on which ones we think we want to go on and have a closer look at. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Brickworks, uh, what how Brickworks does on the triage, because yes, I agree with Scott, it's a, it's a very good business. Um, and of course, we love volatility. Um, <laughs> we, we, we always say volatility is a good thing because it gives you opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I noticed uh, today, uh, Airly, the, the people at Airly Funds Management have said effectively the same thing. They said, uh, embrace volatility and look for look for the, the good buyers. Yep. So, yeah, well, I'll be keeping my eye on Brickworks. I agree. Solpats is also an excellent uh, long-term investor, has a history of being a really good long-term investor. So that cross-ownership is certainly reassuring. Right. So Brickworks a buy for you at these levels or not yet? I'd have to say I haven't looked at it closely right. enough, so I don't know. Okay. All right. We'll put that down as a hold if you're in it because you like it. Um, uh, Helen wants a view, Kevin, on Accent Group. Now, are retailers coming into your triage? They've been absolutely battered uh, over the last year or so. They've had a bit of a bounce recently, but Accent Group is the, the footwear uh, group, uh, footlocker, vans, a whole bunch of leading um, shoe brands. What do you think of Accent Group? How, how can you not make money selling uh, fashion footwear to young people? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it, they're excellent retailers. They've yep. done really, really well. Um, and uh, we, they, they were, obviously the performance was hit by COVID um, and you can see it as were a lot of companies. And we, again, we often have discussions in Team Invest about exactly this because technically they don't have the nice smooth growth that we would like to see. Mm. But of course you have to kind of look through that and that's where the discussions come into their own. We don't, we're not blindly following the software. So uh, they are excellent retailers. They, the management team and the board have good skin in the game. Brett Blundy, I think, uh, has recently bought a number of shares and he's an excellent retailer. So uh, they are very good. Uh, we think they're excellent. Um, volatility, as I say, we like. They have a very agile strategy in their, uh, their approach. So they have a lot of small shares. And we, we talked about this in relation to things like Meyer and uh, David Jones, yep. where you've got the big anchor stores that kind of stay still. What Accent Group does is they have a number of different brands in relatively small stores in any uh, any uh, 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 shopping in, and that means that if a brand's not working, and this is another thing they're very good at, they're very good at failing quickly. So if a brand's not working or a store's not working, they can switch them around and switch them up. They also go for relatively short leases, so uh, if something entirely is not working, they can get out of the lease really quickly. Right. Um, so I'd say that's another aspect of their strategy, which is really good. So yes, we we have our eye on them. We think they're very good. It's very difficult to say whether they're a buy at the moment. The PE is low-ish in terms of the last four years of PE, but then you've got to consider that uh, you've got to consider that COVID was in there as well in terms of earnings. So yeah. 
I'd say for me, hold. A hold, okay. Um, Scott, what do you think of uh, Accent? Of course, Brett Blundy behind behind Accent and uh, LaVisa as well, isn't he? Mm. Um, involved in it. And when I said uh, retailers have been smashed, um, I just brought up the LaVisa chart because mm. I've been following it for a while. <laughs> it got down to 14 bucks in yeah. the June sell-off and is today close to 24. Blimey, that's... It's remarkable, mate. I can't yeah. believe two months um, what it's done. That share price is extraordinary. Can Accent do the same? Uh, Louisa deserves the, the gains. That Those results are extraordinary, Koshy. Wow. And this is one of those ones, really quick aside, I know we're here to talk about uh, Accent, but Louisa is one of those companies that I've made a mistake by missing thus far, largely because... Yeah. It doesn't make logical sense. Selling really cheap costume jewellery to teens doesn't exactly, young 20-year-olds, doesn't exactly strike you as a sort of empire-building <laughs> retail. And frankly, I'm not entirely still sure that uh, it, it won't potentially come a crop if it misses a couple of trends in a row. It doesn't right. take much. But um, think about people like Premier Investments, right? Solly Lou's done a spectacular job with Peter Alexander and Smeagol. Uh, so look, I, you know, I wouldn't write LaVisa off at all. They've done a wonderful, wonderful yeah. job thus far. Accent, I think, is a very good retailer. Um, it doesn't have the raw upside of LaVisa, partly because its business model is more, more traditional. LaVisa, believe it or not, scans social media, Instagram and TikTok for fashion trends and uses that as one of its major drivers of product design. And then really quickly, like in a matter of a couple of weeks, gets them on a store shelves. That's how it's done so well. Um, of course, uh, Accent largely using other people's brands, as Kevin's already yep. mentioned, uh, longer lead times for footwear, all that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very different retailer. It is a very good retailer. I echo Kevin's points entirely. The PE is reasonably low. And I think it's also worth saying we're in a really messy retail environment. I've said a couple of times, I'll say a couple more times over the next couple of months. Um, it's very, very hard to take draw straight lines through earnings after COVID. Some businesses struggled, then did well. Some did well, then struggled. Yep. Some have gone up and down and up. But it, there's been so many different ways of, of looking at the, the business patterns, not the share price patterns, but the business patterns and trying to work out what's actually going on. These guys have a very, very good um, operational uh, model. Kevin's already beautifully covered all that stuff, so I'm not adding much value to that other than to say I agree entirely with his takeaway. Uh, I think this is a high-quality business. I would go a little bit further, though. I would buy Accent shares today. I think they're going to beat the market over the long term. In the short to medium term, these guys might be discretionary retailers in the, um, in the fullest sense. In other words, when interest rates continue to bite, these guys might actually struggle a little bit. Most of their customers probably aren't paying mortgages for what it's worth. So mm. there is probably not a direct correlation. But if the economy does tighten, I wouldn't be surprised if these guys suffer as well. That's not going to worry me because I'm looking out long term, three, five, seven years and saying, hey, in 2027, in 2029, you know, will this price look, look cheap? I think the answer will be a pretty clear yes. So I think yeah. it's a buy. Okay. Um, Sarah wants a view, uh, uh, Scott, on PointsBet, the... Uh, uh, the hasn't been listed, listed a couple of years, points mm. bet, hasn't it? About 18 months, has, two yeah. years, the betting yep. company. So these guys are fascinating because they do the bits behind the other companies. Yep. So these guys give provide the software, the the, the gambling engines, the, the, the infrastructure that yeah. supports others. They're sort go of a more a tech company, those. aren't they, than a gaming right, company? Right, kind of, yeah. Like, yeah, it's a bit like, so the business out there, for example, that provide the software that, travel agents use for example right. so the software is very specific to that industry but they don't they're not the brand they're not the brand the customers would engage with they generally sign joint ventures or um, supply agreements sometimes both or with with 
uh, other agents, particularly in the US. So think about the state lotteries, for example, and state uh, sports betting that's rolling out state by state by state in the US. These guys will make it do a deal with a local gambling operator who, who know the market much better. It's a really smart strategy. And they say, hey, we've got this great software. You guys have got this great brand. You've got a great market knowledge and know-how. Let's combine forces, as I said, either as a joint venture or as a supply agreement. We'll go and bid for this license together. That makes points bet both, it's a very, very large range of outcomes here. If they get most or all of the things they're going for, these shares are stupidly cheap. If they get almost none of them, the shares are really expensive because there's not much left. You know, you know, there's, there's a very small number of potential partners here. If you're Microsoft, to use my example from before, everybody with a computer in the world is a potential user of your software. Yep. If you points bet and you have to have a case-by-case -case use, you know, um, bet365 are going to all of a sudden start using points bet software. Uh, so you know, you've got a very limited number of potential deals you can do if they come off, they're very big, very lucrative deals, but you're reliant on firstly doing a deal with a gambling operator, and second, you've then gonna, that combined party goes and bids for the gambling license in a given state, and you may or may not get that license up. So a really large range of outcomes. It's not miles away from, it's not exactly you know, venture capital type odds, but you're kind of in that, in that rough ballpark. Uh, I like what they're doing, I like the strategy. Frankly, it's not making money yet. And as we talked about before, businesses like that have been absolutely smashed the share price from 14 odd dollars uh, down to something much less than that now. It's been a really rough ride for shareholders. Nothing wrong with the model. They're doing exactly what they said they were going to do. The market's just changed its mind. And maybe fair to say they've missed a couple of contracts they were hoping to win. So that's a bad combination. I can't suggest buying it at the current price unless you have a really strong stomach for risk and unless it's a small part of a very diversified portfolio and you want to take that calculated gamble uh, no pun intended it literally yeah. is not not quite the gamble of a gold explorer there's more to it than that but it's certainly not a regular cash flow operating business so um you need to know this could be much much better or much much worse yeah yeah no, a lot of it depends on marketing too they spend a heap on marketing don't they uh, yeah spend a heap on shack uh, Shaquille O'Neal is uh, the front man <laughs> for it uh Kevin uh, any interesting you know, you know, points you know, he doesn't come cheap. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I think, uh, yeah, you, you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. It, it's got low, no history and no profit. Basically, is is would be the problem with ours. And it, again, if you look at the um, if you look at the chart of the uh, the shares on issue, it's just going up. So they keep uh, they keep hitting their uh, their. Uh, shareholders up for some more funds. So yep. yeah, it, it, it's certainly not one of ours. For you. Okay, uh, Kevin, Anthony wants a view on Rural Funds Group, the real estate investment trust that with uh, $1.2 billion in agricultural assets across New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and Victoria owns and leases uh, farms. Yes, it's, it's interesting. I hadn't, I mean, this one doesn't come up on our on our software, it, the return on equity and the return on capital is uh, is a bit too low for us. Um, it, other than that, it doesn't look bad on the figures. Um, but if you do look at the earnings per share, they're not kind of growing in a steady way, the way we like. They're they're up and down a bit over the years, um, and the shares on issue have gone up quite a bit. Mm. Uh, they do some interesting stuff i mean obviously they they're developing almond uh almond vineyards uh, almond sorry almond uh, uh, orchards yep. Yep. and uh vineyards and macadamia and i mean i i like all of the products from those basically so they're nice products to have um but 
really, in terms of us, uh, it's not one that sort of meet, meets our profile. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Scott, for anyone who wants uh, an agricultural bent, I suppose, mm. isn't an alternative to elders, which is like the, uh, uh, the Agricultural Listed Investment mm. Trust? Mm. <laughs> Mate, really good point, actually. Look, it's in the same space. They're very, very different businesses, yeah. but but in the same agriculture space, there's definitely some related upside or potential risk to both of those that are that, that are you know kind of they have in common. So um, very well worth thinking about. By the way, I like elders. I also like rural funds, but the reality is this is effectively a REIT of sorts. Yeah. Um, it's an agricultural REIT, and so I think you need to think about it that way rather than agriculture company. Yeah. Elders very much more in the actual production side of things. Um, generally speaking, rural funds are going to have more REIT-like or property trust-like characteristics, which is both good and bad. I've said before, very, very hard to get really significant upsides in REITs because of the nature of the business. If you buy it book value, your return is going to be the rental yield plus some development profits. That's rarely going to be a large enough number to catch up with and beat the market just because of the, the way these things are structured. So they're kind of at a, a structural disadvantage on the same, by the same, oh, by the way, unless you use a whole lot of leverage, and we know that Centro did that in uh, <laughs> during the GFC and and paid for it, so that you've got to be a little bit careful there. So you can beat the market with it. You've got to use debt to do it and be careful with that. On the flip side, these guys have done a really nice job. They're they're super diversified by crop, by geography. Um, so if you want some exposure, this is a very nice way to do it. I really like it for income uh, investors, Koshi. I think it's one of those companies that, again, it's not one of the usuals, not one of the banks or Telstra or something else. Um, mm. It adds a whole lot of diversification in most retail income portfolios. Um, and I think it's a it's a very, very nice business. Uh, yield of 4.6%, P is only 11 times. Again, as a REIT, be careful. That's not super cheap, but nor is it expensive at all. Um, if you want some income, 4.6%, I think, is a, is a great starting point. For investors, I don't think it's fully frank. I'm just going to check that really quickly. Um, so it's one of those situations. You just want to be a little bit careful of what you're buying. Uh, but I like the management. I like the assets they hold. Mm. And if you want income, it's not franked at all. If you want income from a uh, from a diversified portfolio, this is absolutely one to add. But I'd be surprised if it's market beating over the long term. Okay. All right. And our final stock, um, uh, Scott, is European Lithium. Yes, it's got lithium in the name. And so... <laughs> I'm a, I'd never heard of it during all of uh, It's the first time it's ever come up. I had no idea. It's engaged in lithium exploration and development in Austria, uh, mm-hmm. of all places. So, um, uh, and has some leases here in Australia. And uh, gee, I, I thought I knew every lithium company because they've all come up on the call here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But its share price hasn't moved either. Yeah, and that's why people are interested in it, Koshi, and it makes sense. I think if you if you like the lithium story, look, if you're if you're a long-term investor and you like the lithium story, or if you're a short-term trader and you're saying, hey, what's left? What what other rocks can I uncover that might yeah. get hot quickly? To your point, mate, this is I, I think what I love about this program is we get a chance to talk about a whole lot of different companies, which is fantastic. I also want viewers to think about the regular suspects that come up a lot um, from time to time. Because at different times, we haven't been asked about a buy now, pay later stock in quite a while. Yep. There was a time uh, 12, 18 months ago when we couldn't we couldn't move but falling over a request. <laughs> exactly. Now, that's fine, but it's not a bad thing, by the way. What it tells most, or what it should tell most investors who are watching and listening is, hey, this is hot right now. And if the hot money is in this stuff, be very careful because either it's going to be proven right, in which case there's lots of money to be made, or when the hot money leaves, like it did with buy now, pay later, like it's done with... Well, yeah, tech companies we talked about today, when, when investors change their mind, when yep. sentiment cools, you are not left holding much. 
Now, this, this company is, as you say, in exploration and development. Maybe lithium is Austrian for gold, I'm not sure, because we just talked about the very top of the program, or almost top of the program, Focus Minerals. Uh, I, I'm going to suggest to you that uh, the $130 million market cap euro lithium is probably uh, about the same sort of business and the same sort of idea. Lithium is super hot. If it finds something it could do well, maybe lithium is, is going to be the hot commodity for years and years and years and years, or maybe not. Uh, and, sure. and right now, just one thing I want to tell people, I say this semi-regularly, you know I'm going to say, Koshi, just because there is likely to be, and I think there will be, hotter and hotter demand for a particular mineral or commodity. So let's assume the demand story is absolutely locked in. Doesn't mean, A, the price is going to go higher, or B, you're going to make money from producers, even if Eurolithium can actually finally produce some lithium. There's a long way between those two things, but even if it can, maybe the price is low, maybe the cost of commercialization is too high, maybe volumes aren't yep. as big as you think, or maybe there's plenty of other providers that take uh, Euro's business away from up. it. Yep. Well, look at, look at the iron ore business over the last 15, 20 years. A spectacular success, and yet plenty of iron ore companies have gone broke because they yep. couldn't produce at a low enough cost, for example. So don't just do the whole electric vehicles equal lithium, lithium therefore is great, therefore I'll make a fortune buying lithium stocks. It's possible, but just don't assume it's a guarantee. Be a bit careful. And when everyone else is asking about it, remind yourself that maybe, just maybe, there's a bit too much exuberance <laughs> in this particular space. All right, so not for maybe. you. And, um, <laughs> not for me, mate, no. Uh, Kevin, I, I think, think you'd pass on this one too. I, I think you know what I'm going to say there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I, agree, I agree with Scott completely. Yep. Um, and for me, there are better lithium companies out there. Mineral Resources, for mm. example, which is much more diversified and also is looking at adding value in a kind of a vertical way yeah. um, and is very innovative. So, you know, things like that, for me, this one, yeah, doesn't work. Okay. Uh, Kevin Robertson from Team Invest, great to have you board, mate. Appreciate it. And Scott Phillips from The Motley Fall, always terrific. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Koshy. Thank you. Nice. Thank you, David. All right, let's recap the final five stocks. Uh, Brickworks, a buy from Scott Hold from uh, Kevin. Uh, same with Accent. Uh, buy from Scott Hold from Kevin. Points bet a no from both. Uh, rural funds a no from both. If you're an income investor, maybe have a look at it as part of a portfolio of income stocks. Uh, European lithium a no from both. Uh, if you've got any stocks you'd like me to put to our expert uh, panel, Put them in an email to me, the call at ausbiz.com.au and we'll get through them or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. A reminder, you can find all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And the latest investment committee uh, meeting gets posted tonight on the platform after the show will be the first showing of it. And uh, I know it was a fairly active meeting with a lot of discussion, so it will be fascinating to see what comes out of it. Uh, that's it from us. We've got small caps coming up next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.